Welcome to the Airman Helping Airman Podcast. I'm your host, Khalith Wright, CEO, Air Force Aid Society. Join me as we chat with extraordinary guests, share stories, and learn how amazing people are making a difference in the lives of so many Air Force and Space Force families. All right, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Airman Helping Airman Podcast. I'm Khalif, your CEO of the Air Force A Society, and today our very special guest is Tom Connolly. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Tom. He's an amazing individual. He was raised in a Navy family with two World War II veterans as parents. He followed his older brothers to the Naval Academy and subsequently into the United States Marine Corps. He served 30 years in the United States Marine Corps. He's led organizations from five people to 5,000 Marines, five, I would say, I should say five Marines to 5,000 Marines in artillery during combat overseas and three Marine divisions and various staff and supporting commands up to the highest level staff. He's led tactical formations of artillery, infantry, and security forces, including an artillery battalion conducting provisional missions in Operation Iraqi Freedom, headquarters battalion in Japan, security forces company in Iceland, and he was responsible for every aspect of the mission and the organization. Now, over the years, as you would suspect with that much experience, Tom has developed the philosophy that leading is a 110% effort to commit to a lifelong endeavor of study, action, reflection, and refinement. Now, in 2013, when Tom transitioned from the Marines, he worked for five years in two different companies, but he eventually decided to start his own endeavor, Connolly Consulting, to help leaders and organizations improve their performance and success personally, professionally, spiritually, and physically using lessons he learned in the United States Marine Corps. He is currently the president of Connolly Consulting. He's also a leadership coach. Ah, something we have in common at the National Marine Corps Business Network. He is the author of Becoming a Leader, a Roadmap for My Daughter and Aspiring Leader. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to our show, Tom Connolly. Tom, welcome. Thanks for having me, Khalif. I appreciate it. It's a great honor to, to sit here and, and uh, speak with you all and your listeners and your viewers today. Yeah, yeah. And I should mention, you can find Tom on all of them. We'll make sure that all of our listeners have all of his social links, LinkedIn, his website, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We'll make sure that you have access to him and all the great things that that he's doing. So, Tom, let's start with, I think it's interesting that you grew up with parents from the World War II era. How was that? Any lessons learned? Anything that shaped how you see the world today? I think it shaped everything. My dad was a uh, started his uh, navy career they're both raised in the depression right and uh, my mom's a was a first generation american her parents came from slovakia and around the turn of the century and my dad was born in texas and he grew up without shoes he didn't wear shoes in you know except for in the winter time and they weren't living high on the hog by any stretch of the imagination it was the depression and so hard work became key and that's that 110%, that was my dad's calling every day. Give it 110%, whatever you do. My mom was the patriot. Our house was red, white, and blue all the time. She served in the Coast Guard during World War II and then went into the Navy after her hitch was up in the Coast Guard. And that's where she met my dad. 
My dad had started his career on Peleliu with the Marines. He was a hospital corpsman. He didn't want to be a hospital corpsman, but they took his whole class from signal school and made them all hospital corpsmen because Guadalcanal had just wrapped up and they were in dire need of hospital corpsmen. And uh, so he became a hospital corpsman and he made the best of that. And you know, so growing up in that family, right, my mom believed and she got out because in those days you had to get out when you were pregnant. And so we're going to have a child. And so she got out when my oldest brother was born and she took care of us kids. She raised us kids. And but she was 100 percent behind everything that my dad did. And my dad stayed in the Navy for 30 years and he was a seagoing son of a gun. Yeah. And we did 17 years at sea unaccompanied without a medical officer and running the show aboard various ships. And he finally retired because my mom was critically ill and she died when I was 12. Yeah. I mean, our house did everything but pitch and roll. You know, we had a flagpole with a yard arm on it. I held colors every day from the time I was uh, old enough to do so, which I think was about seven, seven or eight until I left home at 17. And my dad looked at us and said, look, I got six kids. I I can't provide for your college, but if you want to go to college, you're going to have to do well in school, sports and, you know, and scouts and make your way. And the one thing I would ask is that that my children would find time to serve their country in their life. And so he didn't tell us we had to go in the military. He didn't tell us which way to go in the military. We saw that he loved, loved the Navy and he loved serving his country. And my mother was a patriot, patriots, and she loved America. And so we grew up with that. Yeah. Does that influence me? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's the rock hard basis of everything yeah, yeah. in my life. That and, you know, and so, I mean, it was church, it was church, school, scouts, and sports. And those were the priorities. And that's what we did. Absolutely. Well, first, let me say thank you to your entire family for so many years of continued service to this nation. You definitely have set an example for many of us and paved the road for many folks like myself and others that have served and are still serving today. So thanks for that. So how did I'm interested in all the values that you learned from your parents and the things that both your mom and your dad taught you? How did you initially apply that to your leadership style as a young lieutenant in the Marine Corps? Yeah, well, you know, you go to school at the Naval Academy for four years, right? And you learn a lot of it. And you go on summer cruises and you learn some things there. And But when you get commissioned, and even after six months at the basic school where all Marine officers have to go, right? You, even after that six months and then artillery school, and you, when you stand in front of your first platoon and you look at them, you realize, hmm, I don't know all that stuff. I, these people have real lives. They're not just going to school, right? They have wives and kids and real life comes into play. And I was very fortunate because my older brothers were serving already. And so they were, and I got to see them in action. And in the summertime, when I was in middle school and high school, my dad would send my uh, sister and I up to uh, Camp Pendleton and stay with my brother for weeks at a time. My brothers, they two of them lived blocks apart and served in 11th Marine Regiment. And so we would go up there and spend time with them and they would take me to work. And so a few days a week, I would go to work with them and get to see what they did every day and how they interacted with Marines. And now when they were lieutenants, that was a tough time. That was the 70s. That was a tough time for the military and the Marine Corps in particular. There was significant drug problems and there were 
race problems. There were all kinds of problems that were going on. They had to deal with every day. And I would hear them talk with my dad. I mean, my dad would have counsel with them. It was usually in the kitchen, sitting on the you know kitchen counters and talking to them about some of those things. And so when I stood in front of my first platoon, as I was like, wow, how do I do this? Well, imitate, emulate, be the, who's that person that was successful at this? Well, I was very fortunate. My dad was, my brothers were, I could emulate them. I couldn't be them because I didn't have their level of experience and uh, I needed to be me, but I could emulate the things that they did, right? And I talk about that in my book, emulate to accelerate, right? If you want to improve, find somebody who's done what you've done, right? Or done what you want to do and be like them. Now, I was very fortunate as a lieutenant. I had a battery commander who was a friend of my brother's, as a matter of fact, but he was a tough guy, but he was the best battery commander that I ever met. And he was experienced. He was a Vietnam veteran and he treated everybody like they were his sons. And, uh, you know, it was tough love. It was hold you accountable. It was give you clear guidance and expect you to perform. And if you didn't, then, you know, you got told that. And But he was a great example to follow. So I was very, very fortunate starting off that I had all of these people that I could emulate, that I could be like. And that was a great experience. And it was a great organization, a great battery. The other lieutenants were great, great staff NCOs. And I spent the rest of my career trying to always create that in whatever organization I was leading. That organization where everybody wanted to be there. Everybody wanted to perform. Everybody wanted to get better and actually created a term for it. I call it a culture of performance. That might be my next book. (laughs) I say that a couple of times in Becoming a Leader, but uh, the idea of a culture where you want to come to work, where you feel valued, where you're learning and growing all the time. Yeah. So tell me, Tom, you had the the great fortune of having a father, older brothers, that first commander that you worked with uh, that were great leaders. And you talked about emulating and imitating. They were great role models. What advice would you give to the young leader in the military who may not have readily available role models like you had at that time? What would you recommend to them in terms of finding someone to emulate, finding a role model, finding a mentor that can help them establish and grow in their leadership style? Well, I would tell you that I think that, especially in the military, in the military, there are so many great leaders, okay? Now, I typically don't talk about great leaders and poor leaders. I just talk about leaders because you either are or you aren't, okay? Some people are better than others and they're getting better, right? But a leader, by definition, is continually growing, improving, trying to improve themselves. But look outside your organization. Look at your senior staff NCOs, right? Look at your fellow lieutenants who may be more mature, more experienced. There's a, I think it was St. Paul, but that said, effectively, you should always have three people in your lives, right? You should always have a mentor, right? Somebody that you're looking up to, right? Somebody older, experienced. You should always have a peer, someone that can tell you when you're, hey, your bright idea maybe isn't so bright, right? And don't do that because that's dangerous or you're doing something wrong. Then you have someone that you're leading, someone that you're mentoring, because it's actually in the people that you're mentoring that you're held accountable. They expect something from you. They expect you to do something. So, you know, that was for me as a young leader, 
to have the Lance Corporals and the Corporals. Now, I had the really unique experience in one of my earliest jobs that I didn't have a staff NCO in that section. In fact, it was me and a bunch of Lance Corporals and PFCs, and we were the fire direction center for the organization. And I had to be both. I had to learn how to be the staff NCO, right? The person who was extremely technically competent. And I had to be the tactical leader, the officer. And so I had to teach these youngsters the things that they would otherwise have learned from a staff sergeant or a gunny. And so I had to learn it. I had to go find the find the master sergeant. Now, the guy that had preceded me in that billet was fortunately still in the organization, a great friend of mine, Mike Matroni, fantastic officer, great fire direction officer. Fortunately, he was there, but he was the XL when he was very, very busy. But between Mike and so here's a peer who's now one of the guys I can look up to. And then I also went up to the battalion and said, hey, Master Sergeant, who is the fire direction chief for the battalion. And I said, I need to know this. I need to understand this. I need to get better at this because I need to teach my people. And he was all over it. Any question I had, he would help me learn it. And so I got very, very good. And so did my men get very, very good. But so you always have those, at least those three people in your life because they drive you to continue to grow. And you can find them in your organization, outside your organization. It doesn't have to be a formal, you know, walk up to somebody and go, I want you to be my St. Paul. I want you to be my Timothy. No, you go to them and ask them a question. And sometimes you got to humble yourself and you say, maybe it's the Lance Corporal in my organization who really knows this stuff, right? I always talk about you're, as a leader, you're both a master and an apprentice, Okay. And you have to choose those roles. And sometimes they go back and forth on a daily basis, right? Sometimes you're a master of something, but you have to apprentice yourself because leadership is learned. I call it an apprenticed vocation. Yeah. Uh, Tom, I want to go back to something that you mentioned, how you became the, not only were you the lieutenant and the leader in that organization, but you also kind of morphed yourself into the role of the staff NCO. And that reminds me of this this concept that as a leader, you have to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done, right? You have to become the leader that the people need at that time. What Throughout your time in the Marine Corps, what did you see? Did you see many other leaders doing that? I know your dad was had to do it as well, right? He wanted to be a signal guy and he ended up being a corpsman. And so that kind of concept is constant in your family. What have you seen not only in the Marine Corps, but in your experience today with leadership consulting and coaching, how difficult is it for leaders to become the leader that the organization needs versus the one that they studied to be, the one that they went to school to be, or the one that they've read about in maybe in books like yours? Well, I would tell you, it's, I think you have to accept that, okay? Accept that that's what you're going to be. And I think it really hit me when I was a battery commander and I wanted to take this, I took this battery after Desert Storm and I wanted to be, I wanted to take them on deployment. I wanted to go on the MU deployment, okay? And so I took the battery, but my regimental commander had a policy that you got to command for a year. And I would have had to have commanded for over two years in order to take them on deployment. So going in, I had the role that I wanted as the guy that worked them up and got them ready and took them on deployment was already, no, you're not that guy. So I looked at it and I said, I don't, I'm not going to get to be what I want to be, but these guys still need to be trained and they need to be ready and they need to be the, and we're going to be the best. And I had to make that decision. Now I will tell you every organization thereafter, 
that I ever walked into, I didn't get to be the guy I wanted to be. Okay, now I'm still me. My character is my character and character is the core, right? You get to choose who you are, but you're exactly right. Spot on. And I talk about it in the book. You have to be who, what the organization needs at that time. And the very best leaders understand that and they see that. And I think it's more common in the military, I think, because you change jobs, you go to different roles, you stay around for more than a minute in the military, and you're going to have a handful of different roles and jobs to fulfill, right? And uh, whether that's technical or otherwise, right? And so you have to accept the role that you're in. You can't shape the role for you. Now, there are people that will try to do this even in the military. You see it all the time. But the best leaders, the people that are most successful, and that when I say successful, defined by creating a great organization, the kind of commanders that people don't want to lose, okay? Yeah. Those leaders have, have understood that role, right? You have to do what needs to be done. You don't get to choose just to do the easy stuff. Yeah. How do you balance that? I just want to know, because one of the things that I think is important in being a leader also is being able to be your true, authentic self. And and you did mention that, hey, your character is your character. So how do you balance being what the organization needs versus being your true, authentic self and being able to come through and people don't feel like that you're faking it or being something that you're not? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. So the who you are, are your value, right? Yeah. And that's your integrity and your honor and how you approach people. That's the authenticity that comes out. Every situation is different. Every role that you'll play is different. Every day is different. You have to deal with, people are messy. If you're going to be a leader, accept that people are messy and you're going to have to get messy if you want to help them. Because fundamentally, that's what you have to do. You have to look at every every person in your organization, I call it the prime imperative, right? And believe that they have value. Now, if you believe that they have value, then you have to do the things that help them grow. Sometimes, hey, look, your mom and dad didn't want to whip you with a, give you a smack on the butt when you did things wrong. It broke their heart, broke my heart when I had to discipline my children. But you have to do it, right? And so. The way that you have to do that is within who you are and how you deal with that best. And your authenticity is is about being who you are, your character, through all of that, right? Through whatever the trial, the tribulation, the minor ups and downs, the major ups and downs is how you approach that. And that's, so I don't think it's ever about compromising that. It's always about how you do that. Some people talk more, some people talk less. Do you have to learn a certain amount of empathy? I would tell you if you're leading anybody, if you don't understand empathy, then you're not going to get across to them very well, right? Yeah, absolutely. People who have never led maybe learn that lesson the hard way, right? I mean, we do this in, especially in the private sector, a lot. We will promote people to certain levels based on their technical competence without regard to their ability to lead. Right. Right. And so the first time they're leading, they're, whoa, you know, I, how do I do this? And so they, that's where coaches, whether inside the organization or external to the organization, that's where coaches can help. So they help people to understand, look, just be yourself. Yeah. If you want to cry with them, cry with them. If you want to sit down and talk to them, but you have to be willing to empathize with who these people are. Yeah. So 
if I'm not mistaken, what you just referred to is of promoting people beyond their level of competence, actually promoting people to their level of incompetence is referred to as the Peter Principle. And it does happen a lot in the civilian organizations, but I think it happens some in the military too. So I'm interested in what, as this kind of shift gears a little bit to transition. So when you transition out of the military, now you're in huge into leadership coaching and leadership development. What's been the biggest difference that you've seen in leaders inside the military, inside the Marine Corps, and leaders in civilian organizations? The leaders in civilian organizations, first off, everything you learn about leadership in the military applies, okay? It carries over. The principles are forever the same, okay? They, they're principles. Their leadership is leadership. It's about inspiring people to transcend to something greater than self, okay? That's what leadership is about, okay? And now that in the military, we get a better taste of that, I think, to start with. In this private sector, like I said, sometimes we promote people without that leadership experience. But furthermore, I think that what happens sometimes is people, because we switch jobs and we move, but we do that a lot in the military. We go from one job to another job. And we see that we have to do things differently for different organizations. We have to be what the organization needs. And in the private sector, if you grow up just in the IT world, and then you take a job somewhere else, you can't necessarily approach things exactly the same way. And your experience with approaching things differently, okay, is very limited, okay? And because we're changing jobs in the private sector, moving laterally to move up, you don't have that experience of finding somebody in the organization to emulate and see how they do the different things as they move up because you just joined a new organization and three years later, you joined another one. And so you're missing some of those things. And if they're wise, they look around and they go, I need someone to help me right? Whether that's a a coach internal or external. Some companies are are hiring, are creating coaches within their organization, right? Some people go, hey, you know what? This is something I haven't done before. I'm going to go find a coach. Yeah. So tell us more about coaching. So people hear the term coaching. They hear the term uh, leadership coach, executive coach. Tell us more about that. What exactly should one look for in a coach and and how does that coaching relationship work? Is it the same as having a mentor? Is it different? Tell us a little bit more about coaching and your experience as a leadership coach. So when I first got into the consulting business, I resisted the temptation to be a coach, okay? Because I thought that was kind of squishy. But what I really realized was that that's not the case, right? I mean, every great athlete, every great violin player they have coaches. Mm-hmm. They all have coaches. Sometimes they have more than one coach, right? They've got somebody who's holding them accountable, right? And helping them to find, right, the approach, the best approach. A consultant will tell you and he maybe even do the work for you, but a coach does not. The coach says, do the work, go run those 440s, mm-hmm. right? Figure out. I want you to sit down and figure out what your values are. Let's, we can talk about this. I can help you to discover that, but you have to do the work. So coaching is not counseling. It it is not therapy. I am not a licensed therapist, nor do I want to be, okay? (laughs) But I will help people 
to discover what their core values are, what their vision, mission, and purpose are. And there's work that has to be done with that. You can't just, I mean, most of the time when you ask people about what their, what's your mission? They don't know what their mission is. Mm -hmm. What's your purpose? Why do you get up every morning? What's your why? And so coaching is about helping people to define for themselves their core and then attain an objective, right? That's what coaching is about, attaining an objective, okay? I'm a competitive powerlifter. So when I look at how much am I going to push in the next meet, there's a program, there's training that's done. It goes along a path. You set that path out and you follow it. You don't just go in the gym and say, I'm going to throw a bunch of weight around today and then, and then I'm going to get better. Doesn't work like that. Yeah. And so coaching, whether that's leadership coaching or executive coaching, is much the same way. Mm -hmm. Now, every relationship with a client is different because every client has different requirements or needs. This guy, he wants, or he's taken over this new job. He's going to be an executive vice president of something. And, and he says, I haven't played that role or I haven't done it in a long time. Help me to figure that out. Okay, yeah, let's do that. So I wonder if... You, so you transitioned in, I think, from the Marine Corps in 2013. Yep. I just transitioned a couple of years ago in 2020. And right as I was transitioning, at least in the Air Force, we were starting to use more outside coaches for senior leaders in the force. Do you think the military would benefit from having more of a coaching culture? Well, I think all your best leaders are coaches. Mm -hmm. Okay. You don't get to coach as much as you'd like when you're a commander right? Because you've got a lot of other things on your plate that you have to do. But then you typically take that coaching approach, which is, here's the standard, here's what we're going to accomplish, and we're going to hold each other accountable for doing this, okay? I think whether you use external coaches or internal coaches, I don't think it matters because a coach, by definition, is someone who helps you to solve a problem, obtain an objective, and holds you accountable for the result, right? I mean, fundamentally. But that also means that every coach doesn't fit with everybody. Right. Okay? There are people who will probably will never be my client just because they don't want to work with a Marine. They have this <laughs> belief. Who wouldn't want to work with a Marine? <laughs> well, but they have this belief of what a Marine is, right? Yeah. yeah. And this is a Marine, and they have this stereotypical idea of a DI or whoever it is, right? And my son's at OCS right now and at Quantico, and I'm sure he's got, he'll tell you exactly what a sergeant instructor, drill instructor looks like, okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but those guys are great leaders, but they play a very unique role. And so you coach people, it, whether you're a civilian or in the military or coaching is the same process, okay? Now, it depends on what you're trying to achieve. Some people need a coach because they need to get their personal lives squared away, mm -hmm. okay? They need to figure out, well, you know, how to make all the balls, keep all the balls in the air, right? And what's most important? Okay. Some people need a coach because they need to learn how to discipline themselves financially, fiscally. Some people need a coach because they want to become better leaders in their field, in their organization. So while leadership is leadership across the board, it is very nuanced for what you want to do, right? I mean, if every organization is different, every organization has a heartbeat of its own, right? And so that, so while your principles of leadership are common, it, the approach, the application is very nuanced. Yeah. 
Let me give you two scenarios, Tom, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on which one you find from a coaching standpoint, which one you find most gratifying. So in one scenario, you have a senior leader that's being promoted, let's say, to an executive vice president level. He's on the career track to someday be in the C-suite. And the CEO of the company says, hey, I want to invest in this in this guy, and I'd love for you to coach him in this new role to help him ultimately get to that. Another CEO comes to you and says, hey, I have this guy. He's made quite a few stumbles. He's having trouble communicating. He's got lots of problems. Can you fix him to help him get back on track? Which of those scenarios, the progressive coaching or the remedial coaching, do you find most gratifying? Well, I've done both, but I will tell you what's most gratifying is working with the one that wants to get better Mm. because this will not happen. Okay. And this relationship will not happen. And if that individual does not want to change, change is hard. People, the biggest obstacle to coaching is people deciding they want to get better. Yeah. That they want a coach, right? They have to look around and say, I'm willing to change how I live. I'm willing to change how I work. Yeah. I'm willing to put in more effort because look, you can coach both of these persons if neither one of them wants to change and improve then the the gain is minimal the objective of a coach is not to convince the person that they need to get better yeah the objective of the coach is to get them to an objective they want right so they're equally as satisfying as long as they want to get better as long as they want to get better. I don't know who would not want Tom Connolly as a coach, even though he's a United <laughs> States Marine. Hey, so Tom, you've done, served your country. You continue to serve through your consulting, your parents, your siblings, and now your son. My daughter. Is serving, And your daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, as you sit here now, what are you most proud of in your life and career? I say this every day. Almost every day. The one thing that I'm most proud of is that I have two children who go to church because they want to. Mm, Wow, that's amazing. That's what I'm most proud of. Yeah, yeah. They go to church and they keep the faith because they want to. Yeah. And my life is golden from (laughs) just, I mean, that is, I don't worry about, sure, as a parent, you worry about things, but... Mm -hmm. All the rest of it is nice. I mean, I'm very proud of the title Marine. I'm very proud. And I, one of my uh, old friends, a very senior Marine uh, officer, was telling them when I was first in the business world, he was, like, he was like, I'm trying to become a businessman. He said, let me give you a clue. You're not a businessman. You're a Marine. <laughs> <laughs> and he's right to the extent that I'm more than a Marine. I decided I was more than a Marine. Okay. I'm a human being. I'm a Christian. I'm a coach, but I'm very proud of being a Marine. Yeah. And I'm very proud of my children. And I think that being a father is probably the most important role that I've ever played. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to have to agree that you are a Marine's Marine, but I also agree that you are much, much more. And I just want to say thank you once again for your service, your continued service, your entire family's service to this country, and everything that you continue to do for leaders across this this great nation. I'm going to turn it over to you for any last words before we close out the show. The last words should all, I think that that's always the hardest thing. I would say 
that the most important thing is to know what you believe and to live your beliefs. Walk the talk and know those things. And you will, as long as you desire to grow, you will grow. But live those values. Those are the that's the most important thing. Yeah. Words, certainly words to live by. So Tom, let me again just say thank you once again for joining us today. Thank you for your service and your continued service. We really appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Khalif, your CEO of Air Force A Society. This has been a great, great discussion with Tom Connolly. Marine, I won't even say former Marine, but a Marine, a coach, an author. If you get a chance, make sure you pick up his book, Becoming a Leader, a Roadmap for My Daughter and the Aspiring Leader. And I will make sure that you have all of the the links to his social media sites uh, where you can check out his services and don't be afraid to hire him as a coach, even though he's a Marine. All right. So until next time, thank you once again. And Tom, we really appreciate it. I look forward to connecting someday soon. Thank you, Khalid. Semper Fidelis. All right. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Airmen Helping Airmen, brought to you by the Air Force Aid Society. To find out more about how we make a difference, visit AFAS.org. And then be sure to search for Airmen Helping in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of everyone at the Air Force Aid Society, thanks for listening and join us on social media.